All right, welcome back. We are, Emirat HaShem, going to finish chapter 4 tonight. Looking back, what have we been discussing? The seven areas of life in which one needs to have bitachin in HaShem. Um, we've gone through the matters of this world for this world, starting with matters of health, one's own personal, uh, physical uh, condition. Then we spoke about Parnosa, making a living. Then we spoke about interpersonal relationships. Uh, then we graduated to the spiritual things, the things of this world for the sake of the world to come. That's, uh, we started with the mitzvahs that only affect oneself. Then we spoke about mitzvahs that affect others. Okay, and then we graduated to matters of the, the world to come, for the world to come, purely spiritual things. And we spoke about the nature of reward in the world to come. And uh, that's, that, that covers six out of the seven areas. Okay, so first was our personal health. And the second was our livelihood. The third was interpersonal relationships. Okay, and those are all matters of this world for this world. Then we had mitzvahs that only affect us. And then we had mitzvahs that affect others. Those are matters of this world for the world to come, meaning combination of this world and the next. Then we had matters of the world to come for the world to come, meaning the spiritual reward in the world to come that is based on our service of Hashem. And now what's left, we have one more category, the seventh category, which is the reward of the world to come that is beyond our service. And as we, as we learn about this category, you'll see how it's different than, um, than the previous category. We spoke about, in the last class, about how Hashem's reward is, is beyond, is, is gratuitous, is grace, way beyond whatever is, uh, is deserved. In fact, we're not entitled to anything. But uh, where are we going to go from there? I mean, this is even higher. This is an even higher level. What's an even higher level? So just hold on a second, and uh, you're going to see... How we're going to, what we're going to be describing tonight is, is basically the loftiest level. All right? So let's take a look inside the text. The explanation of the seventh category. This is the grace bestowed by Hashem on His chosen and treasured ones in the world to come, a great bounty of indescribable good. We're talking about something that's not regular Judaism. Before, we're talking about doing the mitzvahs, learning Torah, doing mitzvahs, doing the regular stuff you're supposed to do. And even with that, by the way, we mentioned uh, you have to affect others. Remember that? We spoke about that. Even with that, it's not enough to do it for yourself. You have to influence others to help them to do it as well. Now we're going to go even beyond, beyond, beyond. 
the proper way of relying on Hashem in this area. First, you have to employ the means that will help one attain the high degree of the pious who are worthy of this divine grace. All right, so we're going to describe now an extra level of divine service beyond doing everything that you're supposed to do and beyond even influencing others and helping them to do what they're supposed to do. This is beyond, beyond. What is it? What is it? Let's find out. This is acting in accordance with the qualities of the ascetics who shun this world. And to banish the love and preference for this world from one's heart. And then to exchange that, not just get rid of it, but to exchange that, for love of the Creator. And to give oneself over to Him, to surrender to Him. Delighting in Him. And to uh, feel lonely in the world among its inhabitants. And to conduct oneself according to the conduct of the prophets and pious ones. And then one should have trust in Hashem that He will bestow grace upon him as He, Hashem, bestowed grace upon them, the prophets and the pious ones in the world to come. What did we just read? What did we just read here? Again, I said, the sixth area was already reward for regular Judaism. And even regular Judaism was more than what we normally think of. Because like we said last time, it's not enough to do everything that you've got to do. You also have to influence others. And that's, that's part of Judaism. So then, and this is beyond. What's beyond that? Beyond that is true selflessness. True selflessness. Um, he, and he describes it in a few ways. First of all, he, he calls it precious. I don't know if we would use the word precious after the Baal Shem Tov. Remember, Rabbeinu Bechayi is writing uh, 500 years, 600 years before the, the Baal Shem Tov. Um, and we have a little bit different view today of precious. Um, remember we spoke about the, the Proshim, about the ascetics, back in, uh, was that back in chapter 3? Um, that whole long story about that town of ascetics. Was that, was that in chapter 4? No, that was in chapter 4. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Such a long chapter. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a story about, well, it's a well-known story about the Maharam Mirottenberg, who was kidnapped and held ransom. I won't tell the whole story, but the Maram uh, tried to uh, make it to Eretz Yisrael, and I think he was passing through Italy, and there was an apostate who identified him and informed on him, and then they sent him back. He was extradited back to Germany, where he came from, and then 
he was put in a tower and they, they held him ransom and uh, they wanted an exorbitant ransom for him and he told the community don't, don't pay it because then you're going to create a new business for them and they're going to ransom rabbis. Anyways, he, uh, he died in captivity. When he passed on, they wouldn't even give up his body for a Jewish burial. So at one point, this is years after the Madame's passing, there was this uh, wealthy Jew, um, I think his name was Alexander Wimfen, I think was the name. And he paid to get the, the body of the Madame released and, and to provide a Jewish burial. Anyways, after he did that, he, in a dream, he saw a vision of the Madame. And the Madame said to him, because of what you did for me, I want to reward you. And I can give you what's behind door number one or what's behind door number two. Behind door number one, and he told him what it is. He said, here are your options of your prizes. Uh, either, um, you can be in my compartment in Gan Eden. Uh, but you have to come tomorrow. Like you can get up and tell your wife and kids goodbye and you know, write a will, but you know, then you come in with me tomorrow. Um, or uh, not, but all the money you spent, he spent you know, a huge amount of money on the, on the ransom. He says, uh, all the money you meant, you will, you'll be made whole, you'll make back that money and, and much more, and you and your descendants will be wealthy for for many generations. So uh, this Rabbi Alexander told the, the Maram in the dream, he says, I'll, I'll go with you. I'll take the, the spiritual delight. I'll go for the, the Elam Haba, the Gan Eden. Anyway, so he woke up, he told his wife and kids what, what, what the decision he made. I don't know if they were supportive of it, uh, of it or not. That's not, not really told in the story. But at any rate, he, he passed away. So the Mashpia, uh, Reb Hillel used to tell this story. Reb Hillel Paracher used to tell this story. And uh, then he would ask the Chassidim, so no, which one would you take? And, uh, you know, a lot of people would say, oh, yeah, 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 I would take the spiritual, you know, well, why take the money? You know, take the, take the spiritual reward. And, because, uh, you know, that, they think that's the right answer. They think that's the holy answer. And then Reb Hillel would tell them, no. Because the Gan Eden is only helping you. But if you take the money, think about how much more Pidin Shavuyim, how much more ransoming captives, and how much tzedakah and charity and kindness, how much you can do to help others. So, you know, the idea of Prishos, of being an ascetic, you know, Tedus of Hashemtev and Chesidis sort of changed our outlook on it. But it's not essentially so different. Maybe the form that it takes is different, but essentially it's still a value. And, and, and the idea is, you know, it explains a lot in Tanya that love of mundane things for their own sake, even if that's a permissible thing, is ra-gomor, complete evil. Okay, and Tanya uses the term ragomer. It sounds so extreme, right? So intense. Um, for something that's kosher, something that's permitted. But he did it for the sake, for its own sake, meaning just for the sake, a physical thing, a mundane thing, 
just for its own sake. Ra uh, gomer, complete evil. And, and what, what does it mean there in Tanya? What it means is, you know, explains in Perek Vav of Tanya, what, what's Kedusha, what's holiness? Kedusha is a state of bittel, of surrender. Anything that's ego-driven, E-G-O, edging God out. You're not allowing Hashem in. And in order to allow Hashem in, you have to be surrendered. You have to be in a state of bittel. So, anytime we pursue something other than the agenda that is Hashem's agenda, okay, anytime we have our own agenda, even if it's of an innocent nature, it's not nefarious, it's not diabolical evil, it's just selfish, animalistic, you know, that's why we call it the animal soul. It's not plotting, scheming, you know, demonic evil. It's just, it's just animalistic. It's just selfish and, and crass and immature and short-sighted. And that, that's what it is. But that's called ra. That's called evil. I don't like the word evil because it implies like it's plotting, scheming. It's not. It's just selfish. But if it's selfish, the problem is now it's not a conduit for, for Hashem's power. So, the idea is, in order to really allow Hashem in, a person can't have interests other than Hashem. Even innocent things that are not prohibited. It's just, it's a contradiction. You can't pursue selfishness, even of a fairly uh, you know, innocuous nature, and, and, and at the same time be fully surrendered to Hashem and allow that power uh, of, of, of kedusha of holiness in your life. doesn't work. It just, it's just, it's an inherent contradiction. So, most of us aren't going to reach that level. I mean, I'm giving a whole Tanya class now, but um, without giving the whole Tanya class, most of us are not going to reach that level on an emotional level, okay? Because emotionally, we, we are going to be selfish, and we are going to have proclivities and, and, and attractions and desires that are selfish. And the best we can hope for is, at least on a behavioral level, that when it comes to doing something, we choose to do the selfless thing. Even though, on an emotional level, we're conflicted. We have both, the selfish and the selfless. But at least on a behavioral level, when it comes down to, you know, push comes to shove, the behavior we choose, hopefully, will be a selfless behavior. And that, that's called a bainini, somebody who does that consistently, who always chooses the selfless behavior, even though internally he's very much conflicted and he has selfish drives as well. That's, that's, that's called a bainini. <laughs> um, but, but the point is, this idea of ridding oneself of, of personal agenda, ridding oneself of you know, the most basic... Uh, impulse for self-perpetuation, which really, it's what, what's so awful about it, right? What's so terrible? It's, it's, not, it's, not, it's not deliberately sinful. It's just, it's just selfish. And, it, and, it, and it's, you know, it's instinctive selfishness. We're hardwired this way. You know, there's that animalistic part of us that's just wired to be that way. And, and yet, to really, really, really be a tzaddik, in the terms of Tanya, we have to let go of that, too. So, when Rabbeinu Bechayi describes 
uses the word precious, and again, you know, we're living in a world after the Baal Shem Tov. So I wouldn't use the word precious. But his description is very much in line with, with Chassidus. When he says, Ha-mayasim ba'elam hazeh. They are mayas. They are disgusted by elam hazeh. What does it mean disgusted by? How can it be disgusted by elam hazeh? Elam hazeh? Elam hazeh is Hashem's, eventually is Hashem's dira. Dira betach a dwelling place in this world. Elam hazeh is bossi legani. I've come into my garden. Elam hazeh is Hashem's garden. Yeah, that's when it's Hashem's garden. That's when it's Hashem's dira. Okay, so when it serves as a vehicle for Hashem's will, then yeah, of course, then it's holy. It's more than holy, it's, it's, it's godly. What we're talking about being repulsed by this world, we mean this world as an end unto itself. That's what it means, as an end unto itself. So being into things of this world, even of an innocent, permissible nature, but just for their own sake and not as a means of gratifying Hashem, that, to the tzaddik, is disgusting. He's repulsed by that. So, they're repulsed by the idea that you would do something just because you want to do it, just because you like it, just because it feels good. Ah, oh, yuck, who would do that? You would only want to do something that feels good to Hashem, that, that, that brings you Hashem, it brings you closer to Hashem, right? You wouldn't do something just for its own sake. So, that, that, that we can, you know, hamayas in ba'elam haza, if you understand what we're describing at this very, very, very lofty level, it means they have no interest in just enjoying this world for the sake of enjoying this world. They'll use this world and very much, you know, that's why it's not precious. That's why it's not asceticism. They'll be involved in this world, sure. The tzaddik will be involved in this world, very much so. If he can use this world for the glory of Hashem, for sure, okay? But just to be involved in the world just, you know, for the sake of it, because it's interesting, because it's fun, it's interesting, it's, uh, it's pleasurable. No way. No way. No way. Okay. And then he continues, and he says, and then to take out, take out of his heart his love and his preference for the world, because that's the default. That's what you're born with. Why does he have to take it out? Because it's there. That's how you're born. You're born as, as you know, animalistic, as, as being in, interested in concrete things, physical things, bodily things, okay? And get rid of that. And to replace it with love of Hashem. Okay. I said at the very beginning of this class, we're talking about a very, very high level right now. This is not a regular level. In Tanya, it's called a tzaddik. In fact, in Tanya, it's called a tzaddik gomer, because there's two levels of tzaddikim. What did this tzaddik do? This complete tzaddik, this higher level tzaddik, or it's called tzaddik gamma or tzaddik v'tevloi. Not only he got rid of the desire for mundane things, worldly things. No, he transformed it. A tzaddik is like someone with two yetzer toivs. <laughs> with one yetzer toiv that's a regular yetzer toiv, and another one that's a yetzer hara that, turned, that was repurposed and turned into a, into a second yetzer toiv which is actually a more powerful Yitzhak but that's another discussion for another time. Um, he literally transformed. He didn't just nullify the natural predilection for worldly things. He transformed it. So whatever desire he would have for worldly things, he made it, he turned it into something godly. Um, 
it's very hard to describe that. And I feel like the challenge is whenever you do describe it, sometimes it alienates people and they think it's strange, they think it's weird. And I would never want to describe something so beautiful and so holy in any way that would make people turned off. Um, but I think it is something that when you hear it at first, it, it does sound weird. It's like, what's wrong with these people? Can't they just enjoy normal things? And, and, and the answer is, well, you know, who says, who says you should still be playing Legos, right? You're not still playing Legos. You liked Legos when you were six, but you grew out of it, right? Well, maybe the stuff that we're into now, even the stuff that we think is really important in life, maybe if we had another few hundred years of life to mature and become more evolved, we would see the stuff that we think is really super important right now is just Legos. Maybe there's bigger things, better things. So, again, I don't, I don't like to get too specific about it because it, it, it often weirds people out. But just imagine somebody who, he's, he's, he's not, he, he's not, a, not talking to someone who's puritanical and his, who's pretending to, to, to reject this world so he could, you know, feel holier than thou. We're talking about somebody who genuinely has taken his desires for everything else that people care for in this world. Even the things we care for most deeply, and he's turned it over. He's given it all to Hashem. So everything has become love of Hashem. And, you know, that means love of, of, of life becomes a love of Hashem. Love of family becomes a love of Hashem love of all the things that people cherish, that people hold dear, even the loftiest ideals. See, I'm not talking about corned beef sandwiches now. I'm saying even the loftiest ideals. <sighs> he traded that in for a love of Hashem. Or, or maybe I could even put it differently. He turned it into a love of Hashem. You know, there's a classic example. Yankov Avino didn't see, he didn't see Yosef for all those years. And when they reunited, so uh, it says that, that Yankiv was hugging Yosef. Yosef was, uh, the, the, the was hugging Yankiv. Yankiv wasn't hugging him back. What was he doing? So Rashi says he was saying Krishna. He was saying Shema. Why is he saying Shema all of a sudden? Like, <laughs> he, he, he looked at the calendar and he saw Seisman Krishna. Like he didn't plan for it. And Svasemis explains that, no, actually, when he was reunited with his son, he knew that that was the most powerful feeling that he was able to have. And at that moment, he channeled that love into saying Shema, into proclaiming God's oneness. Okay? So that's, that's the kind of transformation that, that, that we're talking about, okay? Um, Avom mishi yivtach al hu elikim shi yizakei hulazeh mibli mitzua maiseh But one who believes he's going to have that level of reward without also doing that level of surrender, 
Who axil vapesi? He's a fool. Who daima lemisha nemeraleim oisim maise zimri umavakshim schar kepinchas? About such a person, it says in the Gemara and Seite, he does the action of zimri and he wants the reward of pinchas. Little biblical reference there. I'm going to continue uh, describing here this level. Among the marks of these Anshe Hamaila, these uh, lofty people, is that they guide Hashem's servants to His service. They are teachers. They are not there for themselves. They are there for others. Another thing is, that they endure tribulation gracefully. They know how to deal with difficult times. And everything else becomes trivial to them compared to the value of doing mitzvahs. Like you know from the story, Hashem tested Avram. Everything, everything, and I mean everything, became second in priority to doing Hashem's will. Or, another example, classic biblical example, of Hananiah Mishol Azariah in the fiery furnace. Or like Daniel in the lion's den. Or like the ten martyrs that we read about on Yom Kippur in the Musaf prayer, in the section of the Aveda. These were people who gave up everything. They gave it up. They, gave, they surrendered everything. They surrendered everything for Hashem. So we're not talking about the previous category, category number six, where you just do everything you're supposed to do in Yiddishkeit, plus you influence everybody else to do it too. No, we're talking about beyond, beyond, beyond. Total bittel. Total surrender. By the way, when I say total bittel, I always think about one time I was speaking in a Chabad house, a Shabbos somewhere, and uh, after I spoke, this lady comes over to me, she says, Bitul. And, you know, with that pronunciation, bitul. I say bitul with Ashkenazic accent. She said, bitul. I said, oh, yeah, bitul. She says, no, bitul. I'm like, yeah, bitul. Right? She's pronouncing with the, 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 the dagesh on the second uh, syllable. And I was saying, bitul, bitul, bitul. I, I said, yeah, bitul, okay, bitul, bitul. She says, no, bitul, bitul, be a tool of Hashem. What is bitul? Bitul, be a tool of Hashem. Surrender to the extent you are nothing but an instrument in Hashem's hands. That's bit. Okay. Whoever chooses to die in the service of the Creator rather than rebel against Him, and whoever chooses poverty rather than wealth, which is sometimes harder than choosing death over life, not that we choose death, God forbid, but when forced to choose God or to give up one's life, we choose God, even if it means having our life taken away, right? We never choose death, God forbid. Okay, but we'll choose God, a selfless person, truly selfless person, we'll choose God even if it means losing, losing your life, God forbid, God forbid. Uh, and then also choosing poverty over wealth. Again, we don't purposely choose poverty. There's no like, badge of honor for being poor. But if it's a choice between doing what Hashem wants and, and being poor, or not doing what Hashem wants and being wealthy, for sure I'm going to do what Hashem, what Hashem wants. And, and that could be a greater test than giving up your life, because you can only die once. 
but being poor, you can be poor a long time, right? Uh, or choosing sickness over health, and choosing pain over tranquility. And he basically submits to Hashem's will and desires Hashem's decree. And again, this isn't going and looking for problems and, and glorifying having a life of pain and, and, and any of that. What it means is, if that is the test that Hashem chose for the person, for whatever reason, the person willingly accepts it because he's prioritized. I shouldn't keep saying he. He or she has prioritized Hashem far beyond any other priority to the, to the extent where it's just not a choice. It's not a, I should, I should, it is a choice. It's free choice. It's not an option. It may be a choice. It's not an option. Yeah, I have an option to betray God, God forbid, and make my life easier. No, it's not an option. Not, 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 not even on the table. So somebody who lives on that degree of selflessness, it is fitting that he received the kindness of Hashem in the pleasantness of the world to come. It says about this, to endow those who love me with substance that I may fill their treasuries. The Amr, and it says, No, I have seen, O God, beside yours, what God has prepared for those that wait for him. The Amr, and it says, how great is your good that you have hidden away for those who fear you. And that is the reward for those who are exceedingly surrendered and selfless and have that level of bitul, being Hashem's instrument. And that is the end of chapter 4.